Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 988. Um, I just want to thank everyone who came out to Brea, California, to the uh, Improv at Brea the last weekend, the 22nd, 23rd of February. Those were the dates. Why am I going up so high? Uh, thank you so much. The shows were a blast, and I am very excited to go to San Diego is the next stop. The American Comedy Company, March 7 through 9. Tickets and info are available at AmericanComedyCo.com. So we'll come out and see that. But now let's talk about the ID10T Community Cork Board. Events at ID10T.com is the email that you're going to want to send stuff to, like Daniel Fox, which is a great name, who writes... I recently released my second novel, Lies That Bind, about a young man and his family being chased by a crazed lunatic wearing, he wrote in parentheses, magic? Pink sunglasses. Is this man from the future? From the past? Or is he really just crazy? What other secrets does this man hold and how does he keep finding them? You can pick up my new novel, Lies That Bind, or my previous novel, In the Dark, at Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble's website directly, or from him at danielfoxbooks.com. Also, Colleen writes, I'm a super beginner photographer with a love of local history and tourist attractions museums. I took these loves and started my Facebook page, The Domestic Tourist. It is like uh, Idiot Abroad, except that uh, I'm the idiot and abroad is my hometown, Philadelphia. The idea started when I would hit local tourists or historical spots, and then others who live here would say, it's in my own backyard and I've never been. If you're interested in learning some random facts about Philly landmarks, the page is facebook.com slash domestic tourist which is T-O-U-R-O-R-I-S-T. Or Instagram is Domestic Tourist. Uh, that's the uh, Instagram account. I hope you go to the Mütter Museum, because that place is amazing if you like uh, vintage medical oddities. <laughs> Guys, the largest impacted colon in the history of saved impacted colons. Why wouldn't you want to pay to see that? I don't understand. It's amazing. Um, so that's that. Uh, this episode is Chris Sullivan, who is the dearest, sweetest human being. Chris is on a tiny little startup show called This Is Us, which um, actually is probably one of the biggest shows on television. And uh, he's also he also plays Taserface in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, and he does music. He has great suits. He uh, oh, and he's he did a podcast for a an organization and a website called To Write Love on Her Arms, which is T W L O H A dot com. And To Write Love on Her Arms is an organization that's dedicated to um, helping people get help for various mental illnesses and self harm. And Chris did an episode of the podcast uh, on December eighteenth of twenty eighteen. So listen to that. He is a wonderfully sweet, empathetic, just lovely, lovely, lovely specimen of a human being. And uh, this, by the way, this podcast was recorded in December of 2018 at my home before the new podcast studio was done. So slowly in the coming weeks and months, you're going to start, they're going to start trickling in and being mixed in uh, with the new podcast studio, which I will post pictures of very soon on the Instagram account uh, at Hardwick or at ID10T. I don't know. I got to figure out how to balance those two things out. But uh, Chris Sullivan, love him. Watch everything he does. He deserves it. This episode was brought to you by Robinhood, which is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. You know, while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. 
The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike, view easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right movement to invest. So you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of ID10T a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at id10t.robinhood.com. This episode also brought to you by Squarespace. Why don't you head on over to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain because you can turn any idea that you have into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can just blog if you want. If you want to publish content, do it on your own terms, not the terms of service of some social media platform. Sell products and services of any kinds. Uh, promote your physical or online business. Announce upcoming projects you might have. You're going to get a bunch of beautiful templates created by world-class designers and e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. Uh, everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can buy domains, choose from up to 200 extensions, and analytics are going to help you grow in real time. Also, 24-7 award-winning customer support. So make it yourself easily. Create a website by yourself. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. Again, squarespace.com, ID10T, squarespace.com slash ID10T. Go there. Use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast number 988 with Mr. Chris Sullivan. Let us roll the thing. Taserface demands that you roll the thing. This is not a good taser face impersonation. I'm going to stop now. It almost went into Bane a little bit. I'm Bane's a face. Initiating ID10T protocol. God, no one has applied this theory yet. Um, this is fantastic. Yeah, you, you that's brought... double cherry, not single cherry. That's double cherry cheesecake. You know, I'm telling you, I'm going to eat this while blasting <laughs> the Warrant song. I saw a House of Pies on the way, so I figured... Uh... Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> this is... This is... This is beautiful. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Chris Sullivan bearing a pie... Fucking we should gorgeous. Put it, we should put it in the fridge or something. Oh, that's a good should idea. You mean I shouldn't just let it sit here and, I mean, and get warm? Either way. Either way. Oh my gosh, I can't even. I only have one other friend who has a gate like that. And so either you or her has to set up some kind of speaker that. <laughs> oh, because of the wooden gate. Like. That is. 
Not only a great you idea. Would do, Mandy won't do it. You you might. Fuck yeah, I will. Oh, I would love that. Na, na, so. na, na, na. <laughs> but see, but, then, but people are driving in. I don't know if they're necessarily here, so we'd have to tell people, like, roll down your windows. <laughs> well, they have to push the button, right? <laughs> you push the button, and then something that triggers when you open the gate. <laughs> I, I had some friends many years ago that made up lyrics to that song and <laughs> I wish I could remember all of the lyrics but it, but it's all I hear when I hear the song now which is I'm a dinosaur and sometimes I roar like that's all I can hear in my head wasn't there, wasn't there some famous UCB guy or something that did the entire movie of Jurassic Park in five minutes like he did every character and all the dinosaurs oh my god I don't know I know there was a guy that did a Lord of the, Lord of the Rings trilogy I saw hmm. him he did everything by himself which was, uh, you know, which was a lot. That's a lot. That is a that's a that's a that's a lot to cover. That's a lot. I mean, it was really fun. I'm sure someone did the same thing with Jurassic Park. We should do it with movies like Police Academy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really bring those back. I remember that you know there are certain movies that you watch when you're young, and then you, as an adult, look back on watching them and are like, I should not have been watching those movies. Oh yeah, it's a little bit of. Um, there's a little Russian roulette with with old movies because when you saw the movies, you were young, and and they completely broadened your, the the scope of what entertainment was for you. Right, and so they were amazing. Some of them hold, like right. Pee Wee's Big Adventure holds. Yeah, really holds. Three o'clock high holds. Um, Beetlejuice holds. Beetlejuice is one that I used to watch over and over and over again, and I went back and watched it as an adult, and it is so vulgar <laughs> for a nine-year-old. <laughs> like, he goes to a whorehouse. He goes to a ghost whorehouse. I guess that's true. <laughs> a whore... <laughs> It goes to a miniature ghost whorehouse. Why does miniature make it creepier for somehow? They're just tiny. Everyone tiny, is just tiny ghost fucking. A tiny devil uh, uh, house of prostitution. And the woman, and then the and then the the caseworker who had her slow, her throat slit is the one who set up the whorehouse to right. distract him. Right, and it works. Right. Um, yeah, he I guess smokes that's... through her. No, no, she smokes regularly, but and the, the, the smoke, smoke comes out. out of her neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. I hadn't really thought about. It. <laughs> There's, <laughs> it's mostly just for forming our, our our young sexualities, like everything else, like the 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 violence and all of those things. I guess we would see anywhere, but well, especially now. Hey. Are they redoing? They're doing a second one, right? You almost just did a Beetlejuice. Well, yeah, no. Uh, he was my favorite growing up. <laughs> like, he's so good in that movie. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it's a performance that couldn't be duplicated. No one else, Mm-mm. I don't think anyone else could have pulled that off. No. There was just something about him that he managed to, or just sort of the magic of Tim Burton and him. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of credit to Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, who played so sincere and so, straight. So straight. It, to the opposite, to balance out this fucking insanity mm-hmm. of um, the, the of the uh, Dietzes mm-hmm. and Beetlejuice and that world, it was so perfectly balanced, so perfectly there, balanced. There are few few filmmakers who come up with original 
stories not not like not like the story structure but the the ideas like beetlejuice isn't based off a fairy tale it's not it's not based off an old legend. It's right. not based off an old myth. It's like an original story. I, I, the the stuff with M Night Shyamalan recently, the new what the uh, Mister Glass, mm-hmm. he's creating his own superhero universe. Right. Yep. No one's done that in in how long? That's not based on a comic That's, book or right, anything. Yeah. Right. That's out of thin air. Like like. Uh, well, you know you know who's do you know who's done that to wildly successful degree is the Conjuring universe. They've done it. They've done an yeah, amazing job absolutely. building off the the closet of of possessed oddities right. that the Warrens have. Is that what I walked past on the way? You did what? Listen, yeah. It's probably not a surprise <laughs> to you that my wife is obsessed with the Warrens. Yes, and loves like can tell you a lot about the shit they have in their yeah. closet. Yeah, and yeah, the and marionette the, mm-hmm. is from the Conjuring. The oh the the, the 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 dummy. Yeah, he's from a movie called Dead Silence. Right. He's a he's okay. an actual. Use, from the movie. Yes, actual from the movie. And the thing that's great about that dummy is that he has a remote control. No, no, no. So his mouth opens and his head moves. And, uh, At your whim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, so you control him until he's had enough, and then uh, he controls you. That's how that works. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's kind of how I that works. It. So, yes, it is. I guess we don't live so much in a house as a house of curiosities. Which I love so, so much. Um I aspire. I aspire. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I to, never thought about the Beetlejuice thing before. It's going to tickle me for days. Go, I mean, it's a kid's, quote-unquote, kid's movie. Yeah. It goes to a little miniature whorehouse. <laughs> but... And is constantly trying to have sex with Gina Davis. I mean, he's just being gross and per- He's yeah. just being generally gross yes. yeah. and pervy uh, the, the entire time because he's just a, you know, he's a disgusting entity. But I am glad, like... Because I, I feel like they always sort of talk about, oh, we're going to do a sequel. We might do a sequel. Mm-hmm. A sequel could happen. I just hope they don't go like, well, let's do a prequel. Let's find out right. who Beetle. It's right, like right, right. I don't. That's a little bit of chlorine to me. Like I don't need to know where he sure. came from. I just sure. know what he is right. and how he is in that universe. But I just don't know if. I mean. If anyone could pull it off, I think that group could pull it off. And they're all around, and they're all primed for something like that. If Tim Burton's got an idea. Tim, if you're listening, okay. the, the Chris's, uh, the Chris, would, the Chris's would appreciate a Beetlejuice. Uh. Yeah, I guess I just wonder if the problem with, you know, making like a Ghostbusters sequel mm-hmm. or a Back to the Future sequel or a Matrix sequel mm-hmm. or, you know, like if they talk about a Beetlejuice sequel, mm-hmm. it's sort of like everything worked the first time because there was the magic and it was it's organic. Mm-hmm. What happens when they go and do a sequel is they have to not only build on the stakes of the original because you've already seen it, mm-hmm. but then they you know they usually just kind of go in and, and and home in on the things that were accidentally magical, right? Like they right, sort right, of right. push the things of a time, yeah, of a place, yeah, and and so that that makes it sort of difficult because it's. Like, yeah, but you can't. It just, yeah. it's got to kind of be, it's like, how do you make it its own thing while still honoring the original, while not milking too many of the, yeah. you know, it's like it's becoming aware. It's like the more, you know, Naked Gun was amazing. Naked Gun mm-hmm. two and a half was great. Mm-hmm. Naked Gun 33 and a third. It's like, well, now they're all really aware. Like, now everyone's a little too aware of it. Right. At what point, at what point do you. And I still love it. Right. Do you, instead of, instead of uh, creating something original, what, what, at what point do you start. 
Like I think one of the things uh, with This Is Us is is the the writers and the, and Dan Fogelman are really careful to not start making episodes of This Is Us. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. To keep telling the story that that made the show connect with people without leaning into the things that people have pointed out that they enjoy. And yet. You're in a wildly successful, popular sequel <laughs> to a movie. Right. <laughs> but right. the difference being that that was already always kind of planned. Mm-hmm. And I think right. comic book movies are the exception because mm-hmm. they are inherently serialized stories. Mm-hmm. And so you know going into it, it's not like – a lot of the movies we're talking about were self-contained. This was in, a, in an era when people didn't automatically think trilogy. Right. Um, that, yeah, what would you even call these movies now? I mean, now the the trilogy they're franchises, they're yeah, just, they're just movie franchises. Yeah, so uh, it it really just depends on if so, it's like you know, like some of the, some of the biggest heartbreakers are like Fletch lives, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like ah Fletch, arguably one of the best comedies in the history of comedy, mm-hmm. and then Fletch lives. It's like okay, now they're now they're all making a Fletch movie, right? And it just it just like some of the some of the magic is oh, Chevy, you know. <laughs> Chevy, Chevy, Chevy. This is us. Uh, the when the This Is Us sequel series comes out, yeah. where they just spin off. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. origin stories. Yeah. When they do This Is Us babies, like Muppet babies, but <laughs> or just, just everyone in old makeup, in old age makeup. <laughs> All right, we'll just take it from here. It's them in in a, in a home. That was them. That was them. There they are. Yeah, This Is Us talking. Or yeah. This is us talking about this is us, and that was them. What was the show? The after the after show we were going to do. That was them. That was them. Um, but the, gosh, I mean, you're in such rarefied television air. I mean, there are just not that many wildly successful, and only and not a genre show. Mm-hmm. You know, Walking Dead genre, Game of Thrones genre, both massive. This is us. People drama. Yeah, people drama. Just a people drama. Relationship drama. I mean, when the fucking trailer for that show gets 100 million views before it came out, like, that is mind-boggling to yeah. me how that happens. Yeah, people were scrambling around when, when that the Facebook trailer dropped to kind of reassess the length of contracts. <laughs> Things like that. Because at the time, when I, when I auditioned for that show, I was still attached to the Nick, um, the, the Soderbergh, yeah. Soderbergh show. And... and we weren't sure if it was going to go another season. And so I only signed up for a year of this is us. And then that trailer dropped. And by the time the trailer dropped, I was no longer attached to the neck. Right. And NBC said, hi, how would you feel about six years? Uh-huh. Yes, please. <laughs> I would feel pretty good about that yeah. at this juncture. And it worked out well for all of us. Yeah. Cause you never know, like yeah. you, the way that television shows at least traditionally worked was, you know, you'd go through pilot season, you'd audition mm-hmm. for a show you do. They make a test deal before you even have your final audition. Right. You have, and then you know what the terms are, which fucks with your head. You're right. like, I'll make how much? Right. And then you know they lock you into like a seven year deal. Yeah. And that's a good news, bad news. Right. The good news is, oh, your show gets picked up a lot. The bad news is, your show gets picked up a lot, and now you're on a show that maybe you don't love anymore. You know, right. like shows change, things right. change, and uh, you know, and then you then you get to be 
kind of a spoiled actor. Yeah, you're like, I don't like that. Well, you're in. being paid. I don't care. Yeah, and that's the that's the hard part about you don't have to like what you're doing. Exactly, you know, feeling fulfilled in in some kind of way. The but the so far the the great news is, and I think the reason the show kind of connects with people the way it does is that it's mathematically impossible how well we all get along. Like from the top to the bottom, from Dan Fogelman through the whole cast, our producers, it's it's we have a lot of fun and we enjoy being around each other. So I think I think that kind of translates. So. Maybe season three or four, they just start sliding genre and like maybe you're a vampire. Yeah, I I keep trying I keep trying to work things like that in. Like we we just had an episode where where the doctor, the our fertility doctor, says, "Well, we've done the tests and there were no." Um, there were no DNA abnormalities with the with the fetus, and when they were doing my coverage, I kept going under my breath, really, <laughs> or, go, or going, oh, that, oh, that's weird. Does it skip a generation? Hmm. Yeah, like trying to like <laughs> feed it. Like all of a sudden, the baby can levitate, or 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 as a or as a, a Twilight. Yeah, wolf. yeah. You find out that 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 this is us is just a prequel for some other show like Lost. I always wonder. And no one will ever do this, but I always wonder what would happen if a show, like, in the final season or well into a show, just, like, flipped genres just to see... Just Why see, not? Just to see what would happen. Yeah, if it's running out of steam in, in season six, give it a seventh and flip it. Yeah. <laughs> flip it into, yeah, prequel for The Walking Dead. I mean, if you know it's going to be the mm-hmm. last season mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. like, why not? Yeah, why not? And, and again... I think This Is Us will run for 100 years. Like, this show is going to be on. This show is going to be on for, for a while. Yeah, Dan, Dan has, has an endpoint in mind, which is another reason why I think the show does so well is that he's not writing open-ended. Like Breaking Bad. Like, there's a, there's a goal with, with where he wants to kind of wrap it up. And I think he's said six or seven seasons, something like that. I'm not sure. but oh, um, so sweet. Um, but, yeah, it'd be great. You know, Randall, Randall and Beth – Move down to Atlanta, and all of a sudden Rick shows up, mm-hmm. like in a storyline. Yep, yep. Yeah, and we just make it a prequel. You can make to it the, a prequel to, to The Walking Dead. Well, I think, I think Breaking. I've said this a million times, but I think Breaking Bad is the prequel to Walking Dead. That's right, because the timeline I think pretty well lines up. Perfect. From because Walking Dead is like the apocalypse for them starts around um, O's. Eight, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. and I th- and, and and Breaking Bad s- starts around oh five, I think oh four oh five, and so um, my my theory is that Heisenberg dies. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert: If you didn't watch Breaking Bad by now, <laughs> too late. You don't get to get upset about it. Yeah. Um, then uh, and so in his absence, some cartel tries to recreate the blue meth, mm-hmm. which creates the apocalypse right like that's the thing that triggers the turns out they're not zombies they're just meth addicts they're just meth addicts (laughs) they just need to go dry out they're not dead no 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 they're dead like they're emotionally like they just they just need to be rehabilitated (laughs) that's all they need dead inside yeah they just they just need to be a little bit they just need a little bit of that because they did in season two they connected the universes because Merle has in his satchel a bag of blue meth, which was a nod. Oh, that's right. To the to yeah. So they they actually did that is connected, they actually yeah. did some of the legwork on that. Oh, Rucker. I mean, <laughs> what they just need to do is have Jesse Pinkman show up in the apocalypse. And like perfect. No, I like it. Just <laughs> swing around, Toby. Stop Sam. trying to eat my neck, bitch. <laughs> 
That's all they need to. Oh, man. That's all they need to do. Or listen, I look enough like Aaron Paul. I could show up as Jesse Pinkman. There you go. On The Walking Dead. I like. It. I like it. God, see now we're now we're creating work for connecting, ourselves. Connecting universes. Yeah, yeah that's it. Is, is there is there another television universe? Any two universes you would you would connect Let's if see. you could? I mean, <clears throat> the X Files was the show that brought me like to television, like to adult television. Mm-hmm. That was the first show where I walked into the living room. My parents and said, "Can I stay up late? Uh-huh. Hey, can I stay up thirty minutes late? I had missed the title card, so I said, "There's this show called The Truth Is Out There.' Yep, and I'd like to, I'd like to investigate. <laughs> I want to know what the truth is. Yeah, and yeah. where is it out there? Um, that show blew my mind. You go back, you go back and look at that show, and and every major character actor who's playing who's playing in film today is is working on that show. Jack, it was Black. world class. It was. Yeah. I mean, and I think. Despite the shoulder pads that everyone mm-hmm. had, I think I think the old the yeah. old series holds up quite well. Yeah, uh, Jillian Anderson was my first celebrity crush. Have you met her? I've avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> She's I, really cool. I, I passed by her at the Emmys and was like, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I'm going to let this one go. I'm yeah. just going to. Yeah, there's no. This is not going to work. The out. meeting in my mind is yeah. much better than what's going to happen yeah. in reality. Excuse me. Uh, hi. <laughs> and also, especially because you're a tall gentleman. Me approach. Yeah, my myself approaching any any woman for any reason is is not. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, bode well. My six foot five, two seventy. Can we also just talk about you being dapper AF? Like you, you have the best hats. Oh, thank you. And the best. <laughs> you're. Your I just, your formal fashion wear is on point and I, spectacular. I describe my fashion as um, uh, uh, confrontational. <laughs> I would describe it as a league of extraordinary gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, something. I don't know. It's it's a nod, it's a nod to um, not trying to take any of this too seriously. It's fucking great. Yeah. I think she would appreciate it personally. I hope so. She was. What's that? Uh, oh crap! Uh, American Gods, where she plays the Bowie, the oh, Bowie right. character. Right, Ugh. right, right. Yeah. Have you met any other heroes? Um, you know who? One of the one of the people that that was formative for me growing up. You know, at, just being at home as a kid watching TV is uh, Ray Romano. Yeah. And I met him at the SAG Awards, and. And he was one of the people I'm like, I got it. I have to. to oh, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, and I was like, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. And and uh, and he goes and and he's and then he says, I watch your show too. Oh, I watch your show too. No, no way. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah I watch it all the time. And we're I guess we're nominated in the same category. Oh, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and then we agreed that uh, if if either one of us should win, that we would get up and hug the other. And so, luckily. This is us won that SAG award, and who meets me at the front of the stage before I walk up? Ray Romano, and he takes my fa- he takes my face in his hands, and he says, "I always knew you could do it. I'm so proud of you." And he gives me a hug, and that was one of the best moments of my life. Yeah, that is fantastic. Steven Soderbergh's another one. I mean, he was working with him was incredible. He's it, working with him is is. There's almost nothing you can take away from working with him because nobody else works that way. So yep. like the lessons that you learn working with him, you can only apply to working with him. 
The lesson is just work with Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible experience. You've worked on a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, it's worked out really well. I mean, it seems to be. But let's go back and talk about a young Chris Sullivan. A young Chris Sullivan who's inspired by the X-Files in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And like, someday I'm going to be up there and I'm going to... I'm going to do it. Like, where? What are the roots? Is your is your is, are your roots comedy? Are your roots more theatrical? Yeah. No. My I mean, my roots are theatrical. My my roots are my roots are unorganized energy mm-hmm. or unfocused energy, and yep. my and my parents trying to figure out where to put it. You know, <laughs> where do like, we aim this kid? Like, point this kid in a direction. He'll go. We just have to point him in a direction. And I played a lot of sports. I played competitive tennis up in, into college. But theater, my freshman year, my mom dropped me off at the auditions and was like, I'll be back in an hour, audition or don't, I'll be back in an hour. Mm-hmm. And I got a line in, I got one line in, in The Sting. Have you seen that movie? Of course. There's also a stage play. Yes. <laughs> oh, is there really? Yeah. And it's pretty bad <laughs> uh, from my from my remembrance of it. Um but that was my first my first play. Did did theater all through high school, and then went to Loyola Marymount here in, oh, yeah. in L.A. Yeah. And, and studied theater there. Studied a little bit in England, um, and then so I did a lot of theater. And then when I graduated LMU with my theater degree, mm-hmm. and took it around Los Angeles, yep. I said anyone, uh, anyone, huh? Nobody cares. I got surprise. a degree. Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I got a degree. Yeah, and most of the work that I ended up doing in L.A. was theater. So, Surprise, surprise. But it was this, it was small level. So full circle, my very first job, $150 a week, uh, uh, production of the Fantastics, mm-hmm. longest running musical on Broadway. They were doing a small production in Westwood mm-hmm. and the director was one of the writers of the X-Files oh. and she became kind of my LA mom and her, her husband, her name's Valerie Mayhew and her husband's name is Matthew Greenberg. And he is the writer of reign of fire, 1408. Um, one of the Halloween films, a big sci-fi, um, writer. And so they kind of became my LA parents. And then the first big theater show I got was a, a Broadway touring show of a production called defending the caveman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was written by a guy named Rob Becker, who was part of that 80s comedy boom. Mm-hmm. And then as the the comedy clubs were shuttering after the, after the boom, clubs were starting to close. Work was starting to dry up for just road comics and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote this show with his wife um, about the differences between men and women, and it was a bit of a sociological study about men being coming from a hunting perspective and women coming from a gathering perspective. And it was one of those shows that kind of came up around the same time as a little bit before the vagina monologues Mm -hmm. and kind of quote unquote battle of the sexes, um, that happened in like the early nineties. But he took this show, it was like a 90 minute show, one man show that was stand up comedy, uh, structure, um, and he took it around to comedy clubs that were closing and said, I'll do your show or I'll do your club. And he would do like six month runs in Dallas or in San Francisco and keep the club open. Wow. And that's just, <clears throat> that's kind of just good branding because it, it, there's something about when people are deciding like, what am I going to put on pants and leave my house for mm-hmm. a themed show? Right. 
makes a lot more sense. Like, it just feels like there's more value than uh, just a guy that maybe they haven't heard of. I don't right. know who this is. A show. Oh, what's that? Like, it just right. give them, it gives them something snacky to bite into. Right. And the theory behind that, or the, the thesis of the show is women making the statement, men are all assholes. Mm-hmm. Which in the early 90s, there was that, that kind of thread of, of home improvement, king of queens, yeah. this bumbling, blue-collar idiot with a powerful, smart wife. And he's always screwing up, and mm-hmm. she's always correct. And she loves him in spite of in what spite a of, he is. Yeah, in spite of what a pig yeah. he is. Um, <laughs> even, though he's, and, even though she's a yeah. thousand miles out of his league. Yeah. And so the, the, I think that the outcome wasn't, in fact, not not uh, uh, encouraging people to move away from that, but just letting them know it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to just exist in that way. And so this show kind of kind of pushed against that and said, now, men, men are this way and women were different, but that doesn't make one better or, the, uh, better or worse. So it kind of... Wait, so you toured this, so you did his show? So he did it. St- comedy clubs then did a, like a year and a half run in Chicago at a big theater, mm-hmm. then went to Broadway. And it's the longest, still to this day, the longest running Broadway one-man show in the history of Broadway. So how did you do did you? So then he toured it for years. And then he just got tired and, and decided to hand the show over. And so he handed it over to myself and... Uh, like the Dread Pirate Roberts, essentially, yeah, essentially, and gave us the you know the whitewashed jeans and the shitty T shirt and and it was myself and I was like twenty three at the time, not letting anyone in the production know how young I was. Mm-hmm. Um, they all thought I was at least thirty, and then myself and this other uh, uh, guy who was more of a stand up comedian um, took over the show. And we traded off, and I toured it on and off for like four years, and did a thousand performances. And oh my god! My high school theater professor, who I went back and visited later, said, "You know, it might not be Shakespeare, but you you have your PhD in stage time. Absolutely, like just standing on a stage alone for for what ended up being like an hour and forty five minutes, no intermission, for a thousand shows, and." After that, nothing was that scary anymore. <laughs> well, there's no there's no better training than just being on stage. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. But were you were you given any leeway to tweak or improv or anything? No, Rob was pretty like pretty concerned with with the show going the way he did it, mm-hmm. and so it was a stand up comedy show, and he had worked these beats. And we went to Missoula, Montana and rehearsed with him. I mean, in like a 1,500-seat theater. So it's like the perfect movie scene of like you alone on stage, a guy, one guy in the audience, halfway up the orchestra, watching you do stand-up comedy. Of his material. Of his material to an empty room. Mm -hmm. And what we had to do first, they paid us first to memorize the whole thing because they wanted to see if we could do that. Mm -hmm. And so they gave us two months and, and I can't remember how much they like five grand to, to memorize it. And I went back to LMU to the little theater. And at that time, I was, I was walking in circles for six hours a day talking to myself, <laughs> trying to learn 80, an 85-page monologue. Oh, my God. Then they flew us to San Antonio, and we had to perform it again in an empty theater for this guy who created it until we got the job. And then we started touring it. And so... We had to do it pretty to the T, but there obviously, you know, when when you're doing when you're doing stand up or you have a beat, 
you probably develop four or five different ways that you can approach it based on everything that's happened before, you know, the type of audience, how the other jokes have gone. Am I going to speed through this? Am I going to lean into it? Am I going to, and it becomes more of a, you know, a show that long becomes more of a, a math problem after a thousand performances. So it was, a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, is it, were there some shows where you're like, I don't know if this is working so much. Oh, I think I got them back. Oh yeah. Like there, there were, there were shows where I could go for 20 or 30 minutes without a laugh. And still, you know, you have an hour and 15 minutes to go. <laughs> and the more, and the more you push or more, the more I push and like try to get them to laugh, the less they're like, no, we're not, we're not coming with you. So it was a, it was a, the last 500 shows were, were a little more easy just as far as knowing that the, sh- that the jokes work and knowing not to push and knowing to pace them out and not rush. Kind of funny. And I guess that, that, that show might've cured you of ever wanting to do stand <laughs> well, <laughs> when I, you do the same, or at least if you yeah. want cause you're basically in a, you're in groundhog day. Right. And right. then all of a sudden you're free and it's like, Oh my God, yeah. I could do anything I wanted now. I did a sit down run in Norfolk, Virginia that the contract required eight shows. They didn't have, an, they couldn't sell enough tickets for eight shows, but they made me do them anyways. And on Saturdays, I had a two o'clock, a five o'clock, and an eight o'clock show. So, how was that two o'clock show? That two o'clock show frequently had between seven and fifteen people. But you got to do it anyway in a three hundred seat theater. And I would gather them all to the front. They'd be scattered around. I'm like, no, no, no. Everyone sit in the front row and we'll have a nice intimate talk. Um, but I would leave my mic on, go back to the dressing room, lay down, fall asleep. The, the, the stage manager would start the next show, which had like an opening video, come back, wake me up. And I would wake up, take a drink of water or whatever, and walk right back out on stage. Oh my God. And do that three times on a Saturday. And by the third show, I would get lost sometimes. Be like, I feel like I've said this before. Have of course. I, have I just yeah. doubled back? Have yeah. I- Three shows in a day, that happens. Two shows a day, you can separate the two. Yeah. But I've, I've been in the middle of like three show stand-up nights and said like, wait, did I say this already? And the audience will go, no, or yeah. All right, well, you know. Like some kind of broken Fuck record. you for being the midnight show. How about that? Yeah. That's your fault. That's yeah. not my fault. What are you degenerates doing up this late? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. How dare you appreciate my material to come out and see me and me, you know. What but are yeah. I supposed to do? Try three times in a day? Yeah. <laughs> but stand-up comedy's always been the scariest the scariest because that show at least there's a character involved you're, you're playing this guy like i had to wear a fake wedding ring and talk about my wife mm-hmm. and and even in interviews like when i did radio leading up to a, a city oh you to be in character they were like yeah you have to you can't like i can't be telling them i'm a 24 year old single kid so wait did anyone come to the show that had seen the other guy do it and been like that's not you yeah <laughs> but uh, again, it didn't make any sense. But I was 23, and I would, I would wasn't do whatever much I was of an told. internet at that point. Yeah. So who's really gonna? Yeah, but it was it was crazy, man. 32, 32 states, you know, Anchorage, Alaska, where you're a, where if you show up with a show in Anchorage, Alaska, you might as well be the Rolling Stones. Like we just we didn't pay for a meal we or just a drink, need something to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's what landed me in Chicago. And then I, I stayed in Chicago for five or six years, which is where I met my wife, Rachel. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. How long have you been married now? Uh, eight years. Been together ten. Wow. Yeah. And love in California, full circle. Lived in Chicago and New York, and now we're back. I mean, listen, it. say what you want about Los Angeles, but it's mid-December right now, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, what's the temperature outside? It's like 70 degrees or yeah. something. Yeah. Now, granted, one might argue that our climate is imploding. <laughs> Someone else might just say... Who would argue that? <laughs> Someone else might just say... That we live in a desert, mm-hmm. which we do. Correct. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, this just, you know, our little latitude and longitude just has this little Goldilocks zone. Yeah. There's, I was talking to somebody about this the other day because we were talking about Chicago and, and, and the winters and New York and, and all those things. And we were wondering if, if the weather isn't some kind of external reminder of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. Like... Here here in L.A., I just realized a year passed by. I thought about something that happened a year ago, and it feels like two weeks ago. Yeah. Because there's been no change, like external sign that, that, that time is passing. Yeah. It was 70 degrees six months ago. It's 70 degrees now. Don't look. The leaves will just go, don't yeah. look at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. And so, like, the, the attitudes in Chicago, you know, when... When that when there's that first day where you don't have to wear a jacket outside, the people are so happy. Oh yeah, and so grateful. It's like people crawling out of the ground in the Matrix at the end. Yeah, of that you know. Yeah, and and it, and it gives people a common struggle. Like like there's this we're all fighting against this thing that's out of our control, the weather, the the mother nature, whatever it is. And there's always that, yeah, like that we have in common. And so when it when it when summer comes around, people are skipping down the street. Well, the weather is oppressive in a lot of parts mm-hmm. of the country, and then all of a sudden it just lets up, right? You know, and then. But the only way we know <clears throat> the seasons change is that the ivy on our house mm-hmm. in the winter months comes to life, goes away, and then in the and then in the spring it comes back. Right. So think of it as smart ivy. Is it <laughs> smart <laughs> ivy? Is it's, tuned into it's the, clock ivy? Yeah. yeah. It's, is it bougainvillea? It's not bougainvillea. bougainvillea. We have we have that in other parts of the house. Yeah, and um, we all you know like we like we have a special kind of bougainvillea that blooms year round, mm-hmm. and so it's always very lush. Yeah, but that's that is a very Southern California type of a of a plant. Vine. You, you see that you see that everywhere. But other parts of the country, and some people do like the changing of the seasons. Mm-hmm. I am not one of them. It just rained in L.A. for two days, and I'm like, enough! Even though I know we need it <laughs> right. desperately, yeah. um, at a certain point, it just feels like, I just need to see the sky. I mm-hmm. need to see the, the blue sky. Yeah, those things that, that, we, that, we, that we fight against or that make life difficult or that, that make us have to step out of our rhythm or like – at your at your level now, like all the things that you do, all the different things that you host, what do you? I mean, is what do you fight against? Like, what what do you? Because that th- the things that are hard for me or difficult or scary for me are what make all of this worth it. And so, is stand up still like a challenge or what's well, the? Well, sure, yeah. Stand up, stand up is always the most challenging thing, mainly because if you do it properly, mm-hmm. it never it's a never ending growth process. Mm-hmm. And at least if you have a, a TV show, there's an existing structure that you right. can figure out how you fit into. But with stand-up, right. it's all you. And 
you can finish a tour or a special whatever and go, um, yeah, I guess I don't, I don't really have any funny things ever to say again. I guess that was it. There was a finite amount of funny juice and it's right. gone. And just knowing that you like, ah, if you just keep doing it, it'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you always underestimate your experience. Right. That you go through that every time. Right. I'd say stand up is probably the and the you hardest. can and you and you have to you have to continue to experience things. Like I've heard Bill Burr is kind of the most blatant about it, where he's like, "I learned to ride a motorcycle so I could tell jokes about it." Well, yeah, like, I mean, it's just like any creative yeah. endeavor. You can't all creativity is a re-expression of experience, right? And a repackaging of experience into a way that either is just a pure expression of how you feel, or packaged in some way to communicate with an audience, right? A little more specifically. And so um, if you're not really experiencing things or – and I think it's sort of why a lot of bands or a lot of comedians when they get older, they sort of fall off the map a little bit. Right. Or maybe just don't feel as edgy anymore because it's like they're a lot more – their lives are comfortable. Well, it's you too, right? One of my favorite bands I was of actually all time. thinking of you too. I was yeah. thinking of that band in particular. So, you know, something in between like Octung and Pop Mart. Right. And like, how do you if if you spend one hundred percent of your time being you too, yeah, and touring songs that you've written about your whatever's happened up to this point, yeah, then you're not having any. You can't walk into a bar and sit down next to a guy and hear a story. No, or you can't. Well, sit you next, don't relate to. You can't right. relate, and and it's nothing against people them. People can't relate to you. They can't relate to you. You you're not really having like common human experiences. So. You see the sort of – and again, you know, U2 is one of my favorite bands too. But you see their early stuff all the way up through – and Octung really is – Octung was a great arty mm-hmm. album. But everything before that was about uh, – you know, was so tragic and, yeah. or about MLK or, or revolution mm-hmm. or, you know, like just this sort of revolutionary Irish experience, yeah. you know. And then, you know, Octung was really great and experimental and arty. Um, and then Pop Mart's like disco. So, you know, yeah. it's like it in, in everything sort of changes. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's just, but, um, but you can definitely see that maybe there's a little bit of like, what do we write about now? Like, I think I got all the, right. I think I got all that, um, that, that uh, revolutionary stuff out of my system. So, right. what do we write about? It's a beautiful day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because it is. It is. Because the house is paid for, yeah. the car the car runs. Yeah. Like, the, so the, 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 like, the human experience of, of continuing to challenge ourselves, even, never mind if, if, if there's creative output involved, but how it goes back to the weather. Like, like the, the kind of mentality or the, 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 um, What's the the stereotype of the Southern Californian, slow paced, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of vain, judgy? Like there's no because because we're not railing against because life is easy. It's so funny like, though because I I think that's the external. I mean like to me Los Angeles is like Instagram. It's like a microcosm of Instagram, which is breezy on the outside, diarrhea on the inside. Oh yeah. You know, I'm, that's true. I it's mean, like the image. It's all about the it's all about the I got it covered image. Right. But inside everyone's like, uh, am I fitting in? Right. Am I doing wrong? Right. Do people like me. And all of our work events are dressed up as parties. Yeah. Like all they do is part. Like you go to one of these award shows and you know that right off camera, the facade ends and it's just a pile of cables. Yeah. And news trucks. Yeah. But again, you know, it's like yeah. 
You can post all the Instagram pictures you want about how cool you, you know, everything's so, I'm just so chill. This is my Friday feeling. I'm just like a, a cat yawning on a windowsill, you know. But if you then check your likes, kind of yeah. fuck off. Because yeah. it's not, like, that's not your, your, then all of a sudden your Friday feeling isn't your Friday feeling because it's just, you're just right. using it to monetize your ego. Right. You know, right. like, it, it's, it, so, and again, yeah, I'm not railing on anyone for that really in a serious way. I've certainly been guilty of it myself, but it's just sort yeah. of that idea of like, hey man, everything's totally cool. Oh my God, everything's really not cool. Do they think you're, right. do, are they going to know it's not cool? Are they right. going to be aware that it's not cool? Right. I just went, I just went, I'm from Sacramento. I, I, I went home for a couple of days to talk to the students at my old high school. They're having like a mental health oh, that's fantastic. kind of, kind of um, summit and all these different oh, events. up as taser face. Right. <laughs> Taserface wants to talk about mental well-being. <laughs> it was the only way that they would know who I was. Um, and we were and we were talking about that, about the the trying to trying to pretend like you've got it all together, or trying to pretend like you have all the answers, mm-hmm. is exhausting, and it's and it will drive you crazy. Yeah, I can't imagine being a young person right now and and not necessarily understanding. And even as a full-grown adult, it's difficult to remember this sometimes. But but judging your life based on what you see in the media or social mm-hmm. media, which is a very hyper-reality, an, ideal, an idealization, yeah. and feeling inadequate because you're like, oh, that's not my life. And it's like, that's not their life either. You know, mm-hmm. it's like knowing right. that, it's, that it's all, you know, a, mm-hmm. an engineered facade. And we've set it up for them and given it to them and then turned around – and and uh, uh, chastised them for using it. Yeah, like adults now use the word millennial like it's the word terrorist. Right, and it's and it's it's insane. Like I've heard Bur- Bo Burnham talk about it. Like these kids are just trying to like prove to themselves that they exist. Yeah, and I, and I I am guilty. You know, full disclosure. I used to you know I, I used to make fun of millennials. Me too. On at midnight no, all no, the time. Me too. More for like the like like the Big Brother thing. It's sure. like ah, you know. Sure. And then someone pointed out once, like, well, my generation's the way we are because of your generation. I was like. Fuck, that's impossible to argue. <laughs> How dare me? As, as, is, as is any generation that came after the one before it. And it's like these kids, especially at this school, I went to an all-boys Catholic school. So did I. Where? Well, one in Denver, and then I moved out to L.A. my senior year of high school. All-boys Jesuit. Me too. Motherfuck. Did you ever get Jug? All the time. Yeah! Now, for those listening, Jug... Justice under God. Justice under God. Justice under God was our detention. Yeah. Um, it's just detention. Yeah. But yeah, so I, yeah, I went to Jesuit High School in Sacramento. Fantastic. Um, and this school is all boys. It's high achieving. It's super smart kids, super talented artists, super talented athletes. And so never mind the general pressure of being 15 or 16, but everyone is looking at you... To succeed on a level that is, it's just, it's unfair. It's an, it's an unfair you, amount of pressure. You used to just have your peer group yeah. to base your yeah. performance. How am I, where do I fit in? Yeah. And now it's the entire world. Right. And it's a, not an, not not a truthful representation of the world. Right. A, a again, a hyper idealized right. representation. Uh, greatest, the greatest hits version of the world. Yeah. Because we do tend to think that. I think our I think our brains confuse 
the things that get the most attention with somehow being the most important. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. It is Mm -hmm. sometimes the case, but it is not always the case. And so it just, I, I, the challenge of growing up in the, in, in our current Mm -hmm. sort of global digital environment, I think is a tremendous uh, burden for these poor kids. And that goes for good or bad. I mean, why are fucking teenagers having sexual dysfunction because of the ubiquity of porn it's like mm-hmm. how fucked up yeah you know that this is how kids are socializing and not necessarily and and i don't know what the answer is i don't have a fucking good answer it's like it's 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 unconscious it's unconscious uh uh, uh importance being put on either the good or the bad like you were saying whatever is whatever is is receives the most attention it is what defines you. So if you succeed or if you can always look like if you always have the perfect selfie and you're always with the coolest people, then that is what define defines you. But if you fuck up, then then you're done. I mean, it's, then that's what defines you it, and it's not and it's not true. Every teenager now has the ability to experience what it would have been like to have been on the Brady Bunch. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? To be famous as a kid yeah. and then hit adulthood yeah. and have and feel weird. I don't mean to single out the Brady Bunch, and I don't mean to say singled out because I hosted singled out. Uh, but <laughs> you meant it all. Oh, you meant all of it. I try to slide that into. <laughs> Still milking off that, Teep. But um, I. Uh, but I can't imagine. But like every kid now has the ability to experience mm-hmm. the unfortunate ability to experience you know getting a lot of attention and then maybe at a certain point it backfiring or them just not getting attention Mm -hmm. anymore yeah and that's really that's fucked up like kids should get to live and learn anonymously and not based on you know like and and not be um under a microscope yeah all all the time yeah it, it connects the wrong synapses that that you that you know the the feeling of of acknowledgement or importance with a certain or what's activity real. like what or, type yeah. of what type of appreciation or love is real right. or what type of and, and you yeah. have to go back and, and rewire those later when your instagram fo- when instagram is no longer the thing like right. when you know when you know the the, the number one person on vine <laughs> you know who <laughs> he does well but everybody else nobody can remember vine right 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 um and so it's 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 hard to to kind of because it, because we won't know we won't know until twenty years from now what the the ramifications of 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 all of this are. Um, but I know just being just being around the thousand students at Jesuit High School in Sacramento, you can see it in their faces. Like they're they're trying to use comedy mm-hmm. to keep people at arm's length or to pretend like they've got it all under control, which is my mo. Yeah, I'll do too. that. Um, but I looked around and and I saw just from where I was standing. Six knees bouncing, oh, just like the just like the the unconscious shakes of anxiety. Whether it's being at school, having to listen to someone talk about mental health, sitting in the front row, like just this this anxiety that comes out through not being able to check their phone. Yeah, yeah, that kind of that kind of uh, junkie that we that we've set up. Uh, as far as the the reward center of the brain goes, it's just it's a, it's too much for kids to deal with. And and do you ever think about how easy it would be to cheat now in today, like with a fucking phone or a smartwatch yeah. or something? Well, the whole the whole 
that's the pro- I think that's the problem, right? Our entire our entire system of education has to change because the the the, the way that we studied. We studied for a test to retain information because we couldn't carry the world's library around in our pocket. <laughs> and, and now we can. So what's the point? There, I, don't, I don't believe that there is, is, is as much of a point in proving to anyone how much you can memorize. Right. Like, <laughs> because basically we carry external hard drives around right. with us. And if you, and if you find yourself in, an, in a place where you need the Pythagorean theorem, it's a at your, plus it, b squared equals c squared. That's the one. Mm-hmm. You you have it at your fingertips, and if you're going to go into a more specialized you know area of this world, then you can focus on that. But there, but it seems to me like we have to we have to work on application of knowledge rather than just short term uh, 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 storing of it. Yeah, you know, because in the old days. <laughs> If you wanted to cheat on a test, you had to write it, your answers down on a tiny piece of paper and fold it under your watch. What's paper? It's a fucking <laughs> parchment. It's like a... What's parchment? It's tree skin. It's a fucking... We skin trees like fucking Buffalo Bill. Why would you do that? Because we got erections <laughs> from it. I don't know. God damn it. Just go get back on your phone. And then it's like the cycle starts over yeah. because... You just like the kid, you know, it's like you didn't want to take the time to yeah. explain things, yeah. you know, reasonably and calmly. And thus commences the existential crisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it is It is kind of funny that people might, again, give millennials a hard time and then, but then not bother to offer any kind of a solution or right. an outreach or right. just talk to them. I yeah. mean, I don't know. You know? Yeah, there's a, an organization I work with called To Write Love in Our Arms um, that a buddy of mine, Jamie Twerkowski, started. That he had a friend of his who who was struggling with drugs, uh, drug addiction, depression, suicide. She had carved the words fuck up into her forearms with a razor blade. And because of this, she couldn't get into any rehab. Rehabs were like, ah, she's too high risk. We don't want her uh, committing suicide on, oh our, on, our, on our watch. And so Jamie and three of his friends took her and put her on their couch and detox her as best they could for three guys who didn't know what they were doing. And he wrote this online blog about raising money for her rehab. And one of the lines was, we need to find a way to write love on her arms. And that became the name of his organization. And he printed up some T-shirts and he had a bunch of friends on the Warp Tour. And a bunch of the guys, the lead singers, wore the shirts on stage. And that's how they raised money for this girl to go to get uh, help. And so that organization still exists, and I've been working with them as as the, that next step. Not just like reach out, don't 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 be afraid to ask for help, but who do you ask? Right. Well, this website and this organization connects people with uh, crisis counselors and and rehab centers, and even provides uh, scholarships for people who can't afford it. And so I've been trying to trying to um, kind of support support that. That's fantastic. That I mean, just. You know, no matter what, do not fuck around with your mental health. Do not fuck around with it. You should absolutely talk to someone, get help, outreach, contact your organization, contact someone. But it it just – it's just not something to to take lightly. Yeah, it's super – it's super – insidious right like it it's it it progresses over years like it can slip away the the mental acuities well, right of course and in your own self talk mm-hmm. you just think is like 
oh, well, that must be the truth because why would my brain tell me otherwise? Right. And it's difficult to know right. what is authentically you right. and what is this right. um, pattern of, of chemical um, mis- misfirings. Misfirings that we've set up through social media habits and all of these things. Yes. And, and the idea that feelings, your feelings aren't facts, they're information. Mm-hmm. Like they're... They're trying to tell you something. They're trying to let you know that something needs to change. And if you don't have the tool set to mm-hmm. sort through them, a healthy tool set, right. then that's where things can go. Yeah. That's where things can go wrong. One of the counselors I was working with up north, um, I wrote it in my speech, and so did she. Without any, without kind of uh, talking to each other, and it's like super basic stuff that people don't think about, which is drink enough water, eat well, get enough sleep. And exercise, like those four things, we think, yeah, no shit, <laughs> but they slip away. Like we stay up too late, we get up too early, we don't drink enough water, we we eat like shit, um, and all of a sudden, ten years have gone by, and we can't figure out why we're why we're frazzled. The eating all the time. like shit is particularly like talk about insidious because mm-hmm. we have to eat to survive, right? And eating like shit is a is a self sustaining depression engine Mm -hmm. because it you feel bad so you eat something shitty because that in the moment makes you feel good Mm -hmm. just like drinking or drugs or whatever yeah but in the long run it makes you crave more bad food and creates more negativity and more depression you know and helps contribute to the depression and so it's this never-ending cycle and you're just you know shoveling bad food into your body Mm -hmm. and i don't know why it feels so bad you know not i'm not saying that it would cure everything if you ate healthy because it's not, it can, you know, it's eating healthy isn't fun or sexy. Yeah, it's yeah. you have to really condition yourself to do it. But when you do, yeah. you do notice a difference if you had been on the other side and go, oh my God, I just, that's weird. I just feel good. Yeah. Oh, I was eating yeah. good food. Oh, that's yeah. weird because we just don't, I think we're not, we don't understand with, it's sort of like fitness. You don't understand it until you do it. And it's difficult to communicate to people. If you if you did this, it would increase your the quality of your life by right. some percentage. Right. I found I found right now in my life as I am trying to be more conscious about this stuff. If I am angry, anxious, tired, resentful, whatever whatever the negative thing is, chances are I'm dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just don't have the patience or the or the equanimity to like. Just let things go, or have a glass of water, or yeah, and just and just be present. And it's and it sounds like such simple, stupid stuff, but it's we just don't because it's so simple. We don't even talk about it. Yeah, and so it's learning to recognize those markers as oh, your body is telling you that you need you right. know like you should do something right. healthy it's, as opposed to like this is just because everything fucking sucks. Yeah. You know, like it. Yeah, it, your body is panicking. And we don't have the, you know, I just think it's unfortunately, we just, just that fucking lizard brainstem is just like a, like a car boot. Yeah. Just like on our brain. And it's, you know, we're trying to translate all this very complex information, but we just don't have the, we don't quite have the machine to sort through what our brain is capable of processing. Right. So it's just, uh, it can be a, it can be a little, it can be a little strange. Yeah. And, and moments like this, like the opportunity to speak to somebody, right? To just have a conversation, which we don't really do right. anymore. No. I've, I've found myself, conversations are where 
I figure out what I believe. <laughs> right. Conversations. And, and I'll say it to, to my wife sometimes. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to say this out loud. I don't know if I believe it, but I want to say it so I can hear it and find out. Like, <laughs> you know, you just kind of throw it out there and, you, and you're like, I think I'd like to do ayahuasca. <laughs> Oh wait, that sounded weird. Did it, okay, good. I'm glad. Now, I said how did it out that? Loud. How did that feel when I said it? You know right, what I mean. Yeah. But stuff like that, like when they asked me to, when they asked me to come to do this thing at the high school, everything in my body said, "Don't do it." That's going to be really a thousand fifteen year olds at eight thirty in the morning. You wanted to go talk to them. That sounds terrifying. Don't do it. But in the process of of writing out my thoughts, I actually figured out. A lot about, about the things I do right in my life and the things I do wrong in my life. And we're just not, we're just, we don't offer each other those opportunities. Did they seem engaged? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of times we just, we can be of service to each other in many different ways. You can invite me here to have this conversation. And that type of opportunity that we just don't, we don't realize that, that everybody is looking for a little bit of permission, like to be vulnerable or to share the hard shit they're going or to through. Not be perfect. Yeah. To not be, yeah. to not be a, a fake idealized yeah. version of themselves to be authentic and to be, yeah. you know, every time I've shared, every time I've shared some fuck up or some suffering or some anxiety, fear with a friend of mine without fail, that person has the same fear right. or or fuck up in right. their life but we've spent so much time walking around pretending like we're perfect that we think we're alone in in that stuff and it's just it it becomes it becomes destructive especially to to young people yeah and so you know again it might be weird if you just show up at a high school and like i just want to talk to some kids <laughs> like that's weird yeah i waited for the invitation <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? Going up to an all-boys Catholic high school? Why? <laughs> oh. Talk about mental wellness. <laughs> Don't worry about it. My name's Chris. <laughs> you might recognize me. Sometimes I get sad. <laughs> Do you ever get sad? <laughs> Raise your hand if you ever get sad. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing I learned doing this thing is do not go for comedy at 8.30 in the morning with a group of 15-year-olds. I'll tell you it's also difficult... And I, I know this also from sometimes you know from from doing colleges, which is that if if people are young enough, they're still conditioned to see adults right. like they have to pay attention and listen. Right. And it's very unless you know unless they're used to it, mm-hmm. it can be a little. Uh, they don't know what the proper response right. is because they're they're conditioned to listen and pay right. attention right. and like oh that's weird why is that adult why is this adult doing this you right. know like it's I don't think they almost don't trust it sure and it's and it's 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 so weird because my my I hadn't been back in that auditorium since my graduation in 1998 so 20 years and so all of the anxiety came flooding back sure. like like the, the room off of the off of the gym was our theater so the lobby was was one of our entrances so walking back into that building i remembered every like <laughs> there was one we were doing uh uh once upon a mattress this musical and i played the the mute king and i was so nervous because i had been cast three days before we opened oh because the king got fired because the king thought 
dress rehearsal he didn't have to go to, and he would go uh, uh, to a basketball game instead. Sure. And so I'm having stomach issues, to put it uh, politely, and it's my time to enter. enter. And I, th- I think if I go out on stage, I'm going to shit the stage. Once upon a toilet. Once upon a toilet. Uh, so I decide not to. I go into the restroom, and I can hear silence. <laughs> Out there, and my best friend at the time is playing this jester character, and he's just walking around improvising with the audience, doing crowd work. <laughs> until I came, until I came. Oh no! <laughs> until... So you're supposed. Ah, we fired this one guy because he went to a basketball game. We put this other guy in. He's fucking shitting in the bathroom. And, and so, ninety seconds. I'm 90 seconds late for an interview, which in stage time is, I think, two and a half years. Not to be gross, um, but it's really hard to shit under the gun. Yeah. To get it. It's like, yeah. ah, ah, okay, yeah. please, faster. <laughs> ah, faster. Um, but like all of these feelings of, of anxiety and memories were flooding back. And it was hard to like get on stage in front of a thousand people. Well, it wasn't hard. I just told them. I was like... I'm terrified right now. You don't understand. I'm t- it's 20 years since I've been in here and all these weird feelings are coming up. And did you tell them the poop story? And I didn't. Okay. That's I, didn't. You didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have time. Yeah. I didn't have time. I got the light. You know. <laughs> okay. I'm going to uh, wrap yeah, yeah. it up. Um, but to, 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 to be, you know, in those situations, the kids, the kids were just like we were saying, look, we're just looking for permission. So when we did the Q and a, a few people had questions about guardians and things like that. But one kid picked up the mic and was like, uh, my heart is racing right now. I'm shaking, talking to you. Uh, every day after school, I go home and I go to sleep directly and I don't know what's going on. And that was his comment, like in front of a thousand of his fellow students. What did you say? I just I related to him my anxiety of of work of working on Guardians of showing up on on the biggest movie of my career and them slapping that makeup on me and having to pretend like I knew what I was doing mm-hmm. you know no, nobody trains you how to do that you don't know what you're doing <laughs> you just make the choice and you leap but we I. I was just talking to him about the, the, the unfair pressures, everything we've been talking about, about a kid who's 15 or 16 who's been told that not only does he have to go to school, uh, to a good college, but chances are when he gets out, there won't be a job waiting for him, mm-hmm. and he may have to move back in with his parents anyways. So what's the so point what's of the any of it? Point? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be at a, a school like I'm, – I'm assuming your school is kind of the same, uh, a group of, of – the city's finest or quote unquote high achievers right. who had to do a little bit of extra work to get into a certain school. Um, it's just, too, it's just a lot. It's just too much. And, 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 and it's, and it should be, they, they just need permission to, to talk about that, <laughs> to have somebody to say, it's okay. It's okay for you to say that this is too much because it is, mm-hmm. and you'll get through it. And, and, and those conversations, it's just, it's hard to have them. It's hard to have the context for having them until something bad happens. You know, that, uh, one of the coaches at this school a year ago, um, uh, uh, was successful in taking his own life oh. and his son goes to that school and his younger son is about to go to that school. And that's what sparks the conversation. That's what I love about this is us is that we have these conversations about things like depression, anxiety, miscarriage, um, the death of a, uh, uh, of a father, you know, uh, adoption, 
when else are you going to talk to <laughs> to your kids or to family or to your friends about miscarriage? Right. Your friend gets pregnant. There's no good time to have the miscarriage conversation. Right. Right. But it happens. Almost everyone I know who's tried to get pregnant has experienced uh, or had a miscarriage. It happens way more than we talk about, but we just don't, ha- we don't have the context to bring up the, the conversation to let people know that they're not the only one going through it. Yeah. And, you know, finding ways to get people to find a support group or create a support mm-hmm. group, or again, just talk to each other. I think having conversations again, like you yeah. said, conversations are so valuable and it's, you know, it's so easy and convenient to not mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Ah, you know, there's so many reasons that it's comfortable to just stay at home yeah. and not go do those things. And, and unfortunately it just, it takes a little bit of effort. You know, it took a lot of effort to go speak to a thousand kids at eight thirty in the morning, but it's great that you did it and you know that it was rewarding and it was worth it. Yeah. I walked away more ha- experiencing more happiness than I've experienced in a long time. Um, but that, that idea of, of doing whatever, doing the things that you're afraid of or, or making an actual connection, like it's a cliche at this point, right? We've never been more connected because of the internet and the way thing quote unquote connected, but it's false intimacy and it's false. Um, it's false honesty. It's there's, there's still, you know, a thousand miles of, of fiber optic cable holding each other at, at arm's right. length. And, and to, to, to get out of that and to, I, I went to a hospital recently. My, my brother just had a baby and there was a list of support groups. Did he have a C-section? He did. See, that was the joke. He did. Guys. Um, the baby's healthy. <laughs> oh, good. Um, uh, the, there was a list of support groups. There's a support group for everything. Yeah. Like for everything, every type of, of cancer, every, you know, leukemia, uh, injury, uh, postpartum. Yeah. We're not in the, we're not the like, walk it off generation. Like, yeah. uh, like our grandparents. Yeah. And so the, these, these places are available That's great. to us if, if we know where they are and, and we know that it's okay to, to kind of look for them. Um, that's, I mean, but that's the, that's the other side of, of Los Angeles, right? We have this kind of cliche demeanor uh, and this easygoing thing, but I think we're the therapy capital of the country, aren't we? (laughs) I mean, we probably are. Probably. Maybe New York. New York, LA, you know, well, there's a high concentration of people here too, but there's also a, you know, a high concentration of people here who work in a field that attracts sensitive people, like innately sensitive people in a business that, you know, like basic, you know, tries to dismantle every security that you feel and turn it into an insecurity if you, if you let it. So it is just important to, it is just important to, to talk and have those conversations. And here we are. And the fact that, I still think you should consider going and doing these talks as taser face. <laughs> the makeup takes two and a half hours to get into. Uh, <laughs> Probably an hour to get out of it. Yeah, that's much easier. They just cut up the back with, with scissors and then you peel it off like some horror movie. Yes. Um, maybe, you know what? Maybe, maybe uh, I, I won't pressure you into accepting this gift uh, uh, on, on air, but I'll tell you about it. Um, the makeup team for Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm gifted me a framed um taser face head makeup splayed out on a mat and pinned down like a butterfly that i can't i don't know where to 
I can't hang at my house. Why not? It's terrifying. And you were in the right house. I'm saying I was like, I walked in and I was like, you know, this would be. A good I haven't even shown you downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> if you um, listen, if you you're think offering, about it. I'll tell you, you what. I'm, no, I don't even have to think about it. I don't even have to think about it. Okay. What we could do is... Because it also feels like a donation to a museum. That's what I was about to say. People would come here and see it. Consider it like a museum showing where if at some point you say, I actually really need this back, you could just have it back. Okay. All right. That's coming. I've already shipped it. (laughs) I'm Amazon priming it to you right now. (laughs) I love that. Oh, my God. Wait until you see it. It's screen used... Taser face. Yeah, the makeup. makeup. How big is it? Uh, the frame is probably uh, a little smaller than this table. Like there's there's maybe six inches of room around all the all the the makeup, but it's it's like Silence of the Lambs, like a like a. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you where I think it might actually fit. Oh, this what a day this is. This is really great because right now, uh, my parents had been storing it under my childhood bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's in some sort of a time loop yeah. that's yeah. going back. Yeah. And I love it. And I'm so honored. And the artists who made it. But I'm like, there's no, as it's a kid, not. As a little, little Chris Sullivan sees a thing, like the shadow of a thing under his bed. Yeah. And it's present day taser face. Yeah. The... <laughs> who, now that you mentioned, is kind of like Beetlejuice. <laughs> I was just, when you just did that, I was just about to say the same thing. It's like Beetlejuice is retired taser face. He is. Who's a little more casual. Yeah, he lost. Yeah. It's it's Beetlejuice lost a little bit of his swagger, <laughs> and he's just trying to. He's, he's been, the old guy at the party. Yeah, he's been fired up into space. Taserface. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's so funny that just to hear you sit, do that, yeah. like oh maybe that's where maybe that's where he came from a little bit. Oh dude, me me putting that makeup on and in my trailer, looking in the mirror and going, how the fuck do you sound like this guy? Uh, uh, uh. And trying to get words to come out through those teeth, yep. like all of the acting, uh, uh, it, it was all just me getting around obstacles. Like I couldn't. The whole movie was a blur. I, you can't, I can't see anything out of those contact lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, the teeth, you have to. Whenever you see somebody in makeup like that, and they're talking like this, it's because it's the only way they can make words. Yeah, get out through like the teeth. That's why. I mean, I've said this before, but I don't know why there's not like a acting for genre films. How do you act with all? You know, it's like you can take all the theater you want, but all of a sudden, when you're yeah. you're basically in something that is hobbled, yeah, all of your movement, yeah, and vision, mm-hmm. how do you continue to? Yeah, kind of, the, yeah, the vision, the speech, the sometimes depending on the costume, the mobility in the arms. It's it's a whole different set of challenges. I'm so glad we found a home for the for the makeup. It is. <laughs> You found a, a very welcome home. And from that day forward, <laughs> the house of Hardwick <laughs> was haunted <laughs> of all the, haunted of by all what, the oddities. Is it a, a, the ghost of a fake character? Just, <laughs> just, just the, the ghost of James Gunn. Like, like haunt, <laughs> yelling direction from the back of the house. Or just, yeah. just like late at night. <laughs> at it's, midnight. It's metaphor. <laughs> Christopher Hardwick. It's Taser first, 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 first. Did you just hear that? No, no, no. My my wife, listen. My wife feels like there are 
supernatural things that have happened in this house. Sure. I don't subscribe. You don't subscribe. To that s- series of books. Sure. Of that, that, that series. Is Do you not- subscribe to, to energetic forces that are outside of our understanding? It'd be funny if you said that and then just shot beams out of your hands. <laughs> Hadouken! <laughs> and then the, the audience just hears a... Because <laughs> I just like blow up against the wall. <laughs> and then you guys are never heard from ever again. Do you subscribe to Energetic for... <laughs> I would subscribe to that. Yeah, She's been convinced... Yeah, what, have things moved? She's heard someone, she thought I came home one day. Great. And heard like yeah. footsteps and a door close yeah. and I wasn't here. Um, now, now, do we believe in like the, the, the space, you know, space time continuum rips, uh, uh, time, uh, you know, loops of alternate. I mean, alternate... I we believe in theoretical. That's what I mean. Like, like the possibility. No, I can't disprove not it. Not that it's a ghost, but that it's, it's a happening from another time that's overlapping ours for a second. I, I mean, mean, that's no, where I wanna, kind of am into it. Think of it like, oh, yeah, time's all folded in on itself right. and there are fingerprints that, you right. know, I don't know. There have been a couple weird things. We came. There was there was a period of a couple days where um, there were a couple like weird like light things mm-hmm. and noise things, and we came into the dining room over there, and uh, there was just a weird fog, and it wasn't smoke from a fire, and it didn't have an odor, but there was a tangible fog. In the room, in the dining that, room that we did. Okay, stop it! I see a face that you just. <laughs> Would you come? Are you finally? I'm not admitting. I'm no, I'm not. But I want to make it clear. I'm a way to admit it. I'm. It I'm. It is not. It. The look on your face when you darted your head around the corner scared the shit out of you and mugged yeah. for the camera. There yeah. was no camera, but there was a. Huh? You I was tell just tell us about the fog. We're talking about the fog in the yeah, dining room. I, I think room was filled with it. But did he, did he tell you the night that I thought he came home and someone was in the house that I was here alone? Will you sit for a second? All right, sit down. I want to hear it. Uh, no, no, You're no, not no. imposing. I, Chris started at the beginning. (laughs) It was when we first got the house. At first, I thought Chris was playing bizarre practical jokes that I didn't understand because doors would open and close, and I had a couple slam in my face. Um, And then I found out later he was either across the house or outside. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I was trying to figure out if it was wind or what was going on, recreate it. It was not. These doors were just slamming. Okay. Um, And like I said, I thought it was a not funny joke, but it wasn't you. It wasn't me. Um, And so then one night I thought that he had come home from work and I heard him and not just me, the cat, the cat sort of jumped up in the bed and looked at the door and heard the The cat was thing. like, Chris? Basically. <laughs> no one's just faced by the and fact that the cat is, has... Yeah, I language. heard footsteps, someone talking, walk all the way down the hall and a door closed. So I just assumed that Chris had come home from work yeah. and was on a call and went into his office. So then 20 minutes come by and I was kind of getting ready for bed. I'm like, that's weird. He hasn't come in yet. That's so odd. So I get up and I go to go, you know, burst into his office and be like, Hello. Mm-hmm. 
it's pitch black, no one's there, there's absolutely nothing. So then I get really confused and I start wandering and around your the heart house rate elevates. and I look outside in the driveway and there's no other car here. It's just my car and the alarm is still set. No one's been in the house. There's nothing. I love it. There was, oh, you know, the other kind of weird thing that happened around the dining room fog <clears throat> was that we heard, because um, we, we have the alarm in the house, we'll announce when a door opens like, side door. And one of the doors announced that it was open, and we couldn't... F- and it had been locked, and we want Chris watched the security footage, and you can see the door open. There's, a, cam- there's a camera aimed at that door. <laughs> Do you have the footage? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I can't wait to see it. And, now, it, and it does... No, op- and John I- Fernandez, who's upstairs right now helping me with the light switches, has admitted... That he's had people come up behind him and tap him on the shoulder. He thought it was like me or Chris or someone. Turn around. There's no one there. This is great. This, I love this so much. Now, I don't, I don't want... Obviously, I'm not looking for you guys to identify where you live. But does this house have a history? Like of, of Not really. I mean, I the mean previous... it's like old people who've lived here or, or... We're the fourth owners. Fourth owners. Really okay. The previous owners said they never experienced anything. The provenance of the home. I mean, it's been here a long time. When when was it when was it built? 1928. 1928. Yeah. Oh, here. Okay. I have. Here's the footage. I'm right. going to show you the and footage. Are you going to put this on on a, on a website or something for people to see, or are we just describing it? I don't know where you to just post it when you post this podcast, so you can have them both up. Okay, so it's it's about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So you can there. This is the yep. door right yep. here. This is the security camera, and it's locked. As far as I know. All right. I, but I don't know. Maybe maybe someone. We're looking. We're looking at a stationary bike. Does the handle move? Mm-hmm. Or is it just open? It just opens. Should be. We're waiting. Video's for only it. thirty-eight seconds, so we can tighten this up. Okay. In the edit. Here we go. No, 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 no. Okay. Now, now, now. Hold. Now, hold on. Now, does it close again? No. Okay. It just opens. There was a little bit of a, a movement in the in the trees behind it. So right? maybe it was wind. So, but I'm trying. To, I want to see if that handle comes down, Katie. Oh, Katie zooms in because she knows how to use phones. <laughs> All right, we're watching again. Uh, there's um, the sun is shining. Is it playing? It is playing. No, no, no. It's the the branches are moving in the background, um, and all of the sudden. Without warning, the door opens and doesn't like if swing. The door hadn't been latched. No. Would it, no, but if it hadn't been yeah. latched, you would have known because the system alerts you if any door or window is open. Right, right, right. And it doesn't like open and like slowly swing. It like opens abruptly and and like stops. Right. Wow, this is great. This is a haunted house. <laughs> This, uh, it's official. This house is haunted. It is. Um, this is more than I've ever seen, by the way, yeah. on any of the ghost any shows of the ghost that shows. we've ever watched. They usually yeah. just, they come in and they go, oh my God, I just got this weird energy. I cannot rule out that this might be Colonel right. Edward Jackson, right, right. who was a Confederate soldier, and it's like I, I think we can rule it out. I really, I really loved the early Ghost Hunters, though. It was pretty great uh, because my favorite part was that they didn't deny that their other job was p- being plumbers. <laughs> right. Yeah, 
They could have edited. They didn't have to put that in the show. Well, they're like ghost plumbers. Yeah. Yeah. But I did enjoy that, that, that that's how they ruled out certain things. They're like, it, no, there's a plumbing. This is knocking of pipes. This is. Thank you. All right. For, bye. Um, this house is not haunted at all. Man, this, this podcast has taken so many turns. Yeah. You've experienced it now. Yeah. But you know, um, I just, I'm, I think you're the sweetest man, and I'm so excited for all the amazing things that are happening in your life. Oh, thanks so much. You I just feel the same about look you. Look at your face, and you just see, like, <laughs> that is a sweet, nice guy. How to organ! Would you deny the existence of energies being harnessed in a matrix of sorts? Oh, well, thanks for having me to this haunted house. He brought cherry pies. Chris Sullivan's a fucking awesome guy. Came to my house, went to house of pies. Squeeze cherry pie. Now we say goodbye. Yow! Hey, enjoy your burrito. Yes! No, we've never had a Beetlejuice enjoy your burrito. I'm so excited. It worked out. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now i got to get Michael Keaton on to do a taser face <laughs> enjoy your burrito. And it's all going to come out. Full do you want to plug anything uh, to write Love on Her Arms? To write Love on Her Arms right now is a, is a, uh, is a great place to go if you're looking for help, uh, if you're struggling with depression or anything difficult in your life. Um, they can connect you with help. Um, I'm currently working on a second record uh, with uh, Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes. That'll be out in the next couple of months. And... Uh, Please watch This Is Us. Where you 100% uh, have vampire blood or something. Yeah, the, in your... I think the powers will reveal themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay to let that yeah. little spoiler. Yeah. This is us. This is us. This is us. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving life like mortals. <laughs> <laughs> that was the ID10T podcast number 988 with Mr. Chris Sullivan. Uh, this is Ending Word Salad, and I just am going to give you a trigger warning up top that um, this is going to be a sad one um, talking about death and so if you don't want to feel that or listen to that then now is your chance to not have to and you don't have to you're not required to um, if you just don't feel like listening to it that's that's entirely your that's entirely your prerogative but I just feel too compelled to say something than to not. Um, it is a very strange coincidence that this episode talked about conversations around mental illness and the organization to write love on her arms, because um, I'm sure you probably know, if you listen to this podcast, you probably have some sense of the comedy world, but um, uh a friend of mine and a really wonderful guy named Brody Stevens um, took his own life last week. And the if you saw on social media, you know, everyone was posting pictures and, and telling stories and, and people are still really shaken up over it. And uh, I mean, I've, I knew Brody for 20 years, I think. And, um, you know, he was pretty open about his struggles with, with mental health. And, um, you know, at, at, at 48, um, it, he took his own life. And, and, and I don't, I don't even know what to say, you know, like, what do you, 
I just know that it sucks and people are not... If you're struggling with mental health issues, I am begging you to please talk to someone. Don't. You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. And I just don't want this to happen to anyone else. And um, if you go to the National Institute of Mental Health website, you can learn more about mental health options nimh.nih.gov also uh, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org just have conversations about it be open about it, talk to people about it we talked about it in the podcast just, just being open, it's nothing to be ashamed of it's nothing to be ashamed of Brody um, did warm up on At Midnight for two years and he was he was a really wonderful guy and one of the things that's so heartbreaking is that he was so loved by so many people so funny and he couldn't connect to that and I just keep thinking that it it didn't have to happen and I know that there are people who are closer to him that feel like they was there anything they could do was there anything they should have done And, and I don't I mean they can't they can't blame themselves, you know, you can't watch someone 24-7, you know, but just please know that if you're struggling, that you're really not alone. And, uh, it was a pretty surreal week, too, because my, uh, my nephew was killed in a car accident the day before the Brody news and uh, he was 19 and I guess he wasn't wearing a seatbelt and he was hit at an intersection and I believe lost his life almost instantly and um, so I went home to Memphis to to be with my family for a couple days and uh, I just I'm I'm sure it's a bummer to listen to, but it was just a really weird week, and the service was really heartbreaking but special at the same time. Uh, His name was Kyle Frazier, and like I said, he was 19, but um, just so beloved. I mean, I think there were like a thousand people at his service. They had to turn people away. And just hearing about all of his accomplishments and who he was and who he wanted to be and, and, and how at 19 he was so insightful and, and, and helpful to people. 
that, you know, he worked with his youth ministry group and, and he, they, they read some messages that he sent out to people who were struggling with, you know, just life, high school life. And he gave one of the most insightful pieces of advice I've ever heard from even any adult. But someone was struggling with something in school and and they were stressed or worried about something. And he wrote a message to them where he said, when the lion is asleep, it doesn't concern itself with the opinion of sheep. (laughs) In other words, don't worry about what people who aren't important in your life think. Don't get caught up in what other people are thinking. Just be you. And, you know, he signed off all of his messages, stay golden, which was so... which was really sweet. He was a really sweet guy and apparently would help people who were bullied. (laughs) He was a big football player. Would help people who were bullied and I don't know, I just wanted to talk about him and and honor him and you know, I'll miss not getting to see him grown up grow up and even more. I mean he was way bigger than I am. But um I um I was very proud of him. And I'm sorry for the depressing end to the podcast, but I just just don't want to lose anyone else so please take care of yourself out there okay and I'm you know I'm good the family's dealing with it as best they can they're very strong and they have a good support structure and I have a good support structure and I hope you have a good support structure and if you don't please find one and just know that you're worth it and to live live life to its fullest and pursue the dreams that you can while you can and appreciate the people that are around you while you have them, okay? Um, I'm sorry, I promise. <laughs> I promise next week uh, a more cheerful word salad wrap. And I'm sorry for getting really sad. I, but um, I appreciate you. So thanks, and uh, I'll see you next week. Rest in peace, Brody. Rest in peace, Kyle.